I'm just reminded I'd promised to take my young ward, Dick Grayson, fishing, if you'll excuse me. There's the problem. Better let us handle this. I don't know who he is behind that mask of his, but I do know when we need him. It's we need him now. Biff, bam, pow. Let's take a trip down to the Batcave for Batman Land. Let's go! Our weekly discussion of the 1966 Batman TV show. Each week we are joined by a guest where we discuss the Batman episodes that aired this week on SBS Viceland. Obviously, when I'm not patrolling the streets at night, I'm Dan Barrett, billionaire playboy and a digital editor at SBS, and joined here, as always, by my boy Wanda and a fellow editor at SBS, Nick Bassine. Nick, how are you doing? I, I'm going to again raise my objection to being the boy Wanda. Objection noted. Thank you. Not acted upon. I am also joined here, well, we, my boy Wanda and I, are joined here by Maria Lewis. Hi, can I can I pick my pseudonym? Like, if you get to be Batman in Nick's Boy Wonder, okay, okay. can I pick one? What do you yes. got? I, I want to be the Huntress. That's fair She's enough. She's my favourite female character. I mean, keep in mind, Nick didn't have a choice. Yeah, well, that's true. I hear Boy Wonders, it's not really the kind of thing where you get to have a lot of say in it. Underwear <laughs> on the outside of the pants, tights yeah. out and bright. You know, when um, they first started airing the Batman 1966 series, the Catholic <laughs> Legion, um, protested and ran a big campaign because Bert Ward's, shall we say, bat personage was too large and protruding on television. Really? So they made him wear uh, like penile strappage to like make his no. make his no. smaller. I'm trying to talk around the subject and you can't Batten talk around the bat. Yes, yes. Bats and down the yeah. hatches. Yeah, his always... bat rod was throbbing. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I, how did this become R-rated so quickly? Holy haberdashery! I always wondered with stories like that whether these are legitimate stories or whether it's kind of the PR sort of side of things. That's a legitimate story because it's in Burt Ward's um, biography. Yeah, coming from Burt Ward. Yeah. I think about every time there's a new Superman movie, oh. when there's a new Superman cast, God. there is always a story talking about how the costume had to be rearranged because... Yeah. The actor yeah. is so large that it was, you Same know, un Superman like. For David Beckham commercials. Oh, I mean. Same story. Yeah. <laughs> Same thing with our various podcasts here at SBS. You hear about that a lot. <laughs> I just won't stop talking. You hear about yeah, it a lot. I mean, the rumors about Liam Neeson have followed him his whole career, you know, which is Batman related because he played Razal Ghul. So there you go. Yeah. Thanks for tying it in. Is he wearing? Always. Is he wearing tights or is he is he bare legged? Burt Ward. Yeah. He wears tights. And then over the, the top. Briefs, yeah. yeah. And so they originally had made him wear two pairs of briefs to try and make it smaller. It didn't work. Then the penile compressor, shall we say. Right. And then they found a doctor and they gave him pills to make it smaller. No. So, yes, Come legitimately. On. For, so for a year he took pills to make his bat rod smaller until he got paranoid that it was going to stop functioning if he just, like, kept taking pills from this doctor and so he stopped. Oh, my God. Yeah. Sorry, what man is agreeing to this? I know, well, he was a young kid and also the first episode of Batman 1966, which you guys have already aired by the point this podcast is going to air, um, he ended up in the hospital every day for five days of the six-day shoot with different injuries from third-degree burns, second-degree burns, a broken finger, the whole thing. Yeah. And it was his first ever professional acting gig, so I think there's a lot to be said. Like, you know, you think of the first time you did anything, like your first journalism job or your first, you know, whatever gig, there's probably a lot of stuff that you wouldn't have done if you knew better but you don't necessarily know better at the start. Now, about 10 years ago, there was a run of TV movies being made where they were looking back at 60s and 70s TV shows and I'd have sort of a mixture of the behind the scenes of mm. the production of the shows from years gone by and often like the modern actors of whom were in those programs. 
They did one for Batman. Uh, it was called The Misadventures of the Batcave, <laughs> I think it's called. I should dig up the name of this thing. Yeah. Uh, you can find it on YouTube quite easily. But they do show him going through the uh, masking of his bat goods, yeah. the bat rod, uh, <laughs> as well as the various sort of physical elements he went through. Yeah, it's crazy. And, I mean, like, speaking of the Batcave, the Batcave from the um, from the TV series after they ended on the third season, there was another channel, I can't remember which one it was. NBC. NBC wanted to pick it up and they had destroyed the Batcave and the Batcave was a prop that was $250,000 worth of setage and stuff. So that was one of the reasons the show didn't end up getting picked up by another station is because the main prop, the most expensive piece of uh, bat equipment, I guess you could say, you just put bat in front of anything for the show and it's like the bat phone, the bat car, the bat spray, but they destroyed it and so they couldn't end up picking up the show because it was just too expensive to recreate that whole set again from scratch. Well, the bat nuclear reactor for the Batmobile, it was a working nuclear... Yeah, they had the plutonium and everything. It's exactly. crazy. The stunt guys use because di- you know when they like burst through a wall and it's supposed to be like, oh, he's so strong, he burst through the wall. You're supposed to use like a microcharge, and so you use like a particular type of wall that's you know not like a normal house wall or whatever. So you use the microcharge, it explodes, and you burst through the wall. But the prop builders built normal walls, and so the stunt guys, the stunt coordinators, then use dynamite to blow the walls apart. And so that's what they burst through. And that was, I believe, Burt Ward's first injury on set. It sounds anyway. unsafe. Yeah. The I, 60s. What a time. I really wish we got a guest in who knew something about Batman. <laughs> yeah. yeah. For a change. <laughs> that would have been great. Anyway, guys, we probably need to talk about Batman yeah. 1966. Sorry, what? Uh, there's a Adam West. Show. Batman. Yeah. It's a double episode that aired this week. Uh, Penguin-focused. Fine feathered finks. <laughs> and then the second episode was called The Penguins a Jinx. And I'm not sure if you've noticed, but the two parters, they always rhyme. What? Yeah. Stop it. Well, at least they do for the two that I've paid attention to so far. The two episodes are so packed full of bird related puns. Spread your wings, Mr. KG Bird. We're flying you down to headquarters. It's a flock of bird-related puns, if you will. Now, Nick, you usually kick things off with a bit of a summary as to what was going on in this week's two-parter. Yeah, my, my summaries are usually really in-depth and <laughs> articulate and on point. So I'm going to give it another go. Do it. Um, it would appear to me that the Penguin is trying to set Batman up to help him commit a crime by giving him a bugged umbrella. There's a lot of umbrella action. They That's really his weapon of choice. That. That's his weapon of choice. Doesn't fight. Doesn't shoot or anything. It's not Danny DeVito no. Batman quite yet. Like <laughs> that penguin had, you know, that has one of my favorite moments of any Batman thing ever from the comic books, from the movies, from the TV show, when Michael Keaton is driving through the underground tunnel, and uh, one of Danny DeVito's penguin army penguins has a little missile on his back and he shoots a missile at the bat boat and it just misses him. And he turns back and there's this look on his face and it's just priceless because Batman nearly gets taken out by a penguin with a missile on his back. It's very, very camp 60s kind of little wink in was what an otherwise very like dark and almost kind of joyless Batman world. My father, who took me to see that at the movies mm. back in 91, when that, 92 when that came yeah. out, uh, his criticism as he'd be walking out was going, well, it lost me when it got silly with the penguins at the end. Oh, yeah, that's when. Oh, yeah. my God, come on. Anyway, Nick, what happened in these episodes? Right, so Penguin sends the bugged uh, umbrella over to the Batcave, doesn't bother to find out where the Batcave is with this bug, just listens to Batman and Robin talk about the umbrella mm. and what Penguin might be doing 
to what, what kind of robbery he might be pulling off. And then Penguin pulls off that robbery. And there's a big cliffhanger where he's got Bruce Wayne. Bruce Wayne who stopped. Gaps. Well, Bruce Wayne who stopped by because he couldn't turn up as Batman. Yeah, he's right. in it. Penguin has a store called. KG Bird Enterprises. Right. So it wasn't technically just a store. It was also an umbrella factory. It's an umbrella. No, and they say, he goes, guys, we need to look up. Let's find any umbrella factories that have opened up in the last three days. Like, it is so specific. There's a, we, He's here, so we must find him through this very specific opening of umbrella factories. So that's suggesting that there are enough umbrella factories around for three of them yeah. to have opened up in that last week. In the last three days. Like, what's going on? What is this, Forks? Now, when I saw that, I started doing some research and I wondered mm. how many umbrella factories are there in Australia? Oh, Obviously, deep cuts. the modern day era is quite different to the 60s where there wasn't as much importing, exporting of things being produced cheaply mm. overseas. Uh, so anyway, I looked around. There's actually only one company in Australia <laughs> that still manufacture umbrellas. It's a small Brisbane company. Yeah. It's called Mora Igra and it's run by a 74-year-old lady and she just runs a small workshop and oh, they're creating sweet bespoke... baby angel. Yeah, umbrellas. Bespoke umbrellas. Yeah. So maybe you could get your umbrella that you stand on the handle of and it flies. Entirely possible. So have a chat with uh, Alicia and she may be able to help you out. Sweet 74-year-old Alicia. That's a great moment in Batman Returns when he has that little poetic moment with what's-her-face with but, Michelle Pfeiffer. But didn't you feel like it. watching this that there's a, like, it was really interesting to me because, like, I guess most people who are fans of the Batman 60s series but didn't grow up during the 60s, the way you watched the episodes was illegally. So thanks, SPS Viceland, for giving us a legal method to watch them. But I haven't revisited this particular... I haven't revisited the first season in a really long time, but it was so interesting watching that, loving Batman Returns so much and watching all of the Penguin stuff in these two episodes, mm. how many things I feel like were lifted from that into the... Yeah. Sh- like, there's a lot of stuff. What I thought was most... Even the look, the physical look of him with, like, the monocle and, yeah. So that was uh, a lot more true to the comic, I think. Yes. That look rather than Danny DeVito's look. And as much as I love Danny DeVito's performance, I think the Burgess Meredith is still the iconic one. Yes. He's not... Well, look at them, will you? The dynamic duo. Their faces completely covered with penguin egg. (laughs) Like, in the Batman Returns Tim Burton-y version of the Penguin, he's got that whole kind of, like... Uh, circus freak thing going on. Yes. Like they're playing into this whole like misfits and freaks thing and he's got the webbed hands and blah, blah, blah. They, he doesn't really have a super high level of intelligence. It's more like malevolence really. But in the Batman 60 series and especially what happens in the comics is that Penguin is basically um, the only or one of the only Batman foes that is in full control of his mental capacities to say that he's not insane and he's highly intelligent and he is like a long-lasting Batman foe for that reason and goes into the rogues gallery because he's he's quite smart and even this like okay yes it's a very (laughs) it's a very long-winded ploy like let's tap Batman to then let him come up with a plan that I will then carry out. And But at the same time, it's, I guess, probably one of the more intelligent uh, storylines, shall we say? Well, so far in the show, there's been a lot of let's try to set up Batman yeah. to help us out. Yeah. With kind of convoluted plans. Like it's not just yeah. we're going to rob a bank, you gotta try, we're robbing banks, just try to stop us. But it makes you appreciate, I guess, the, the fine level of comedy that, exists in the Adam West Batman series. Like, it's a really funny show and there's a lot of, like, really smart jokes and there's a lot of double entendres and things like that that 
as a kid, when you watch it, you love it because it's bright and it's fun and it's wacky and there's adventures. But as an adult, you'll be watching things and like kind of snickering under your breath at the jokes that would have gone over your head when you were, you know, a teenager or a lot younger. The funniest thing for me in this episode, the absolute highlight of this two-parter, comes in, I think, the first two or three minutes of the first episode. And it's uh, Bruce and Dick sitting around. Uh, Dick is, like, trying to learn French. Oh, my and, God. You know, this, this <laughs> God, great these verbs there. are going to kill me, Batman. <laughs> I love that. But after he's, you know, expressed displeasure at having to learn another language, Adam West just says, language is the key to world peace. I know. Perhaps if we all spoke each other's tongues, uh, the scourge of war would have been ended forever. That's very yeah. good. And it's then fantastic. He, it's a great line. And then he goes, you're right, Batman. I'm going to learn these verbs if it kills me. And then he <laughs> runs back and starts trying to learn all his French verbs, which is very cute. But there's also, like, I forget Anne Harriet that she was totally a thing because there were complaints, again, that it was a bit sus to have these three men living in a house together going away on Brokeback Mountain-esque fishing trips. You yes. know what I mean? So Anne Harriet got introduced to try and tamper out any homosexual innuendo. Oh, is that why she's there? Yeah, yeah. Officially, they claim that's not true, but I think that is fairly oh, come legit. on. And also, like, there's all this, look how straight they are. Like, when she <laughs> finds the Hollywood movie star passed out next to Alfred, her immediate assumption <laughs> is like, oh, well, they got up to funny buggers. Like, Alfred, you scandalous, like, sexual man. And it's like, they're just, they're literally just sitting next to each other on a couch. Her immediate thought was that they had coitus. But come on, I mean, when you look at Alfred, like, he's obviously Lothario. <laughs> The but thing that's crazy as well, like just from a story point of view, is that Alfred answers the bat phone all the time. Yeah. <laughs> and it was just like, if you go to, and the police commissioner's like, oh yeah, like I go hang out with like Bruce at his place all the time. Like we Netflix and chill all the time. It's no big deal. But then when you make the connection that, hey, there's all this, always this like old guy answering the phone. And then there's also this mysterious butler just hanging out. But Aunt Harriet's job seems to be. To just say, wait, well, you're going, sorry, you're going fishing? Yeah. Again? Yeah. Where are you going again? Yeah. Or to imply that they're straight. That's it. Those are her two jobs. It's very interesting. <laughs> what I love is that Alan Napier, who played Alfred, every time that he picks up either the red flashing bat phone or just the regular Bruce Wayne phone to speak to Commissioner yeah. Gordon, who either wants to talk to one or the other. And I think in one episode, they put the phones against each other. So, <laughs> uh... yeah. <laughs> He has the exact same voice. Like, he never yeah. affects anything slightly different. Well, there is that great scene when um, Adam West, he's playing, obviously, he plays both characters. Why did I explain <laughs> that like a fool? But there's a scene where he is having Wait, a sorry, phone conversation. Adam West is Batman as well as Bruce Wayne? <laughs> spoilers, spoilers. He's having a phone conversation with the commissioner on the phone, and so he has the two phone receivers to his face, and he's talking into one as Bruce Wayne, and he switches the phone and talks into the other as Batman. And if you haven't seen that scene, look it up because it's an amazing piece of comedy, and it's amazing. It just shows like what a good actor he was, but also like what excellent comedic instincts he had. He's pretty incredible. He's amazing. He's one so of my, good. My favorite Breaks things my that, are, that are developing that is. Um, seems to be happening every episode is he's constantly having to tell Robin to just take it easy. Yeah. <laughs> Robin gets excited. He's always punching his fist like that. What's his deal? Was like rubbing into a lot of cocaine at that period of time because he's just... Adam West is, let's bring it down Yeah, Yeah. He's yeah. more the weed guy. Yeah, right. The one thing Adam West can't do, as we learn in this episode, is wear a hat. Yeah. When you watch him, he doesn't look... Like, it doesn't seem like something he's ever done before oh, in his life. Oh, great in that hat. No, no, he doesn't because it's hiding his hair. Adam West has perfect hair. Yeah. And see, like Lego like, hair, like yeah. you just lift it off and then he's he's balding. How dare you? He's this thinning hair. Um, shut your mouth. 
how dare you speak of him like I'm that? I'm trying to defend He's the no hat. longer with us. I like the hat so choice. don't be talking about his balding. No, he had a good head of hair all the way through. Like I saw him at um Comic Con twenty ten and it was thinning, sure, but like no offense, Nick, but let's see what kind of hair you have in your eighties. Well, I love a good head of hair. <laughs> I would defend it to the death, but I, I'm, so I'm, what I'm saying is I like that. Yeah. That's what I'm cool. saying. Cool. Good idea to backpedal. My favorite line was um, when Rob, I think Robin says the Batzooka is ready. Oh, the Batzooka. And then the bad guys say, what was that? And sounded like, sounded like a Batzooka. Like <laughs> that is gold. It's a very specific sound. Also, his henchman are Sparrow and Hawkeye. Yeah. Amazing. Also, a little bit of a Marvel crossover there, but I don't think Hawkeye came through to much later, so they yeah, were fine. Yeah, that's right. That's a weird choice. Yeah. I wrote down both their names with the plan to just chastise both of you for not learning the henchmen's names. But oh, what? Maria's coming Did and ruined you? it for me. Oh, mate, swooping yeah. in like a pelican. Now, <laughs> just like. <laughs> I think one of my favourite moments as well was just after the Batzuka moment, uh, they launched the giant umbrella which comes off the rooftop of mm. the penguin's lair. Yeah. But when he opens, like, moves the painting aside so he can reach the hidden button to do it, there's a big tag that says rooftop umbrella launcher. Yeah. Why do they need signage for that? Oh, I mean, surely it's a one-use button. It's a beautiful thing that runs throughout the entire series that I love so much is the unnecessary and excessive signage on <laughs> literally everything. <laughs> everything is signed. Bat chair, bat phone, bat wall, bat desk. Well, in the first episode, there's the bat research desk. Yes, yeah. Not to be confused Sorry, with research, the bat shelf. recreational desk. Different. <laughs> to- totally different. Well, different things go on. I yeah. love the, um, <laughs> they they hoist the umbrella onto some analysis machine yeah. that's just some kind of lights there. Yeah. And they're looking at it, they're really studying it. It looks like, they're, yeah, they're really oh, so analyzing good. this umbrella. So good. It's very funny. You know, in the first year, because like, obviously we were talking about this before we started recording about um, for a show that only lasted two years. It had 120 episodes, so they were airing two episodes a week, which is pretty crazy. Um, for two years, it was that's how long it was on air. It's not a huge amount of time, but it's had such a lasting impact over decades and decades and decades. But one of the big things with comic book shows and why now that people have, like, cracked the code with comic book movies and TV shows and stuff, one of the big reasons they keep pumping them out is because you make so much money on the back end in terms of merch and licensing and stuff like that. But in the first year of the Batman TV show, they sold $75 million worth of merch. So that includes, like, Batman stuff, Robin stuff, all of the villains and, like, like recreations of their props as toys, all that kind of thing. So you get a penguin umbrella, the whole thing, $75 million. In 66. In 66. Yeah. In 1966. That's basically a few countries, if my math is accurate. <laughs> Don't call me John Nash, but I'm pretty sure my beautiful mind says that's correct. We do like to talk to our guests about what it is they love about Batman. Everything. So, Maria, <laughs> well, first of all, who's your Batman? When you think about Batman, who comes to mind first? Um, the Bright Knight, Adam West. He was my first Batman and he has always been my favourite Batman. My grandfather was really into Adam West Batman, as I think a lot of people's grandfathers were, and I just loved him. Like he just had an energy and uh, I guess like a kinetic spirit, magnetism that when you watched him and you watch it in these episodes, it's so long ago but it's just incredible. Like it's so still so funny and he's so engaging. And every time he's on screen, no matter what else is going on in the background, whether it's a bazooka or whatever, <laughs> your eyes are automatically drawn to Adam West because he's he's a really incredible performer. 
what I loved about Batman, I my first introduction to Batman was through the comics. That was the first place that I met Batman. It wasn't through the TV show. I was a massive comic book nerd growing up. Which era of Batman? 90s. 90s okay. era of Batman. So I was, I'm also a really massive fan of Birds of Prey, which is um, when I mentioned before, like Penguin is one of my favourite villains. He pops up a lot in Birds of Prey comics. In particular, there's a run that Gail Simone did with Nicholas Scott, um, which is probably one of my favourite runs of the Birds of Prey. If people don't know what they are. It's basically uh, a female superhero team of heroes within the DC universe. But particularly Batman's sort of female heroes. Yeah, so Huntress, who is my favourite female comic book character, she was once the daughter of um, Batman and Catwoman in the very early origins of the story. That's not the case anymore, but it's, you know, like you have a thousand origin points as a comic book character. But it's like Black Canary as well. Catwoman comes in and out of Birds of Prey, sometimes Poison Ivy. Anyway, he popped up as a villain um, in that run and it was really, really cool and uh, it was like such an interesting storyline. And all those 90s sort of Batman story arcs, a lot of the Batgirl stuff and Batwoman, like comic books around that time are really, really great. Cassie Kane, I just loved her. I loved the... the Cassie Kane, who was Batwoman. Yeah, so when you see Batgirl, Cassie Kane. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so when you... Kate Kane is the Batwoman. It's yeah, very sorry. confusing. It There's is. a lot of C's and K's. <laughs> but um, Cassie has the, the bat suit, like so the recognisable bat face, but the mouth is sewn shut because she's a mute. And I just remember looking at that and like, oh, man, that's so badass. Like, I don't know why it was something so kick-ass about seeing that shot. But I was a massive comic book nerd and um, I, I, what I do for a living, If in case people don't know who the hell I am, I am a pop culture journalist journalist by trade. I have a book series called Who's Afraid, which is basically um, very similar to True Blood. It's, it's urban fantasy, but it's very pop culture heavy urban fantasy. And basically everything I create and do is inspired by the things that I'm really passionate about. And Batman was one of those first true passions for me. And, you know, a lot of kids who were into comic books in the 90s and especially the early 2000s as well, it was not a cool thing to be into comic books like it is now. Like it was something that you kept that passion on the download. Is it download. cool now? Yeah, it is. Cooler than it. It's not pop culture anymore. It's the culture. Right. It's mainstream. You the, know, like it is. You see people wearing the hoodies. Movies are. No, I feel like I feel like it's it's mainstream across the level. Like when you have gay comic book characters having the first gay wedding in comic books, it's written up in the New York Times. It's written up on Huffington right, Post. Right, right. When you have a character that comes out as trans in a comic book, like things like that are written up in mainstream media, whereas before, right. it, you know, people just coughed and whimpered. Um, I mean, the change, the turning point is probably Spider-Man in 2001. Like as soon as that happened, suddenly it became a big yeah. Hollywood thing. And X Men as well. It was and X Men, of yeah. course, yeah, because yeah, they were both sort of around the same time. X Men was ninety nine, and Spider Man. Oh, X Men no, was two thousand, yeah. yeah. And Spider Man was the year after, so it, uh, it was kind of like that merging. But even though those movies were successful, they were the exception rather than the rule. Mm. And Blade as well was like pretty successful, but um, on a very different level because obviously it was R rated. It was not for families. Why it remains the best. Oh my God. I love Blade <laughs> and Blade 2. Um, but it really wasn't until those Marvel movies kind of like cracked, cracked the code. So I, I don't know. I don't think I knew about this Birds of Prey, but it. Birds of Prey is so good. They're bringing the ladies together that are bird or wing really. Bird-like, which is why there's, why the penguin pops up a fair few times as right. one of their villains. Um, there was a really terrible TV, TV series, show. Birds of Prey. that Based they, on this. Yes, that was like, what do you reckon, early 2000s? Yeah, pretty early in like 2002, 2003. Yeah, it was definitely post-Matrix because there was so much leather and there was so much slow-mo and there was Stop. also Vanessa Carlton's song at the end of it or Michelle Branch. Ooh. Like it was really, it was so weird. It was such 
a terrible show. No. Yeah, Batman appears in the first minute of the TV series and then yes. you never see him again. And but Harley it, Quinn's in there as well, Dr. Yeah. Harley Quinn. she's like one of the major like, villains in that. Yeah, she is. Yeah. So I, I used to, I grew up, um, I, I was a huge comics fan. Um, I stayed kind of in my lane, a few yeah. different lanes, and I didn't really branch out all that yeah. much. So, but when I look, I look back at some of the old stuff that I used to love, I was most... One of the most striking things was how women are drawn in these mm-hmm. comic books. It's gratuitous. Oh, yes. And I'm looking at Birds of Prey, which looks like it might have been something to attract, get more girls involved, right? Well, originally it but was... they're kind of drawn... Well, so this is the really interesting thing. If you look up interviews with Gail Simone, who is, I guess, one of the biggest... One of the most well-known Bat-verse writers because mm-hmm. she's written characters all across the spectrum of the Batman. So supporting characters, main characters, the whole thing. So people really look to Gail Simone. And she's also one of the few female writers as well. Particularly at DC during that time. So there's a few notable female writers, particularly from the Marvel stable, but outside of Louise Simonson, uh, there's not that many sort of female writers at DC. For sure. And, um, well, at least then, you know, like it's a little Mm. bit different now with things like Gotham Academy and stuff like that. And Batgirl as well, like Babs Tar, the Batgirl of Burnside, things are very different. But... Um, Gail Simone has said a lot about in, in interviews when she first started on Birds of Prey, she didn't have Nicola Scott, who's an Australian uh, comic book artist. She had uh, a male illustrator, his name I can't remember, but she puts all these jokes into the script about how scantily clad their costumes were and how impractical it was to fight and stuff like that as her like little ways of being yeah. like, screw you, because she couldn't do anything about the illustrations. It was out of her control. But then right. when Nicola Scott came onto the book and the two of them teamed up, that's, I think, why people still talk about that series and why it's so memorable is because they they really did something different. They started drawing women that weren't drawn for the male gaze because it was written by a woman and drawn by a woman yeah. and the women looked physically strong as opposed to having to be inherently shaggable. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. 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 Uh, also at that time I think a lot of comic art was becoming a lot more, uh, I guess, sort of complex looking to a certain mm. degree. And so I think Nicola Scott, because she's got a really sort of clean art style. Yeah. It was like that great time for girls and women who were discovering comic books at the time to really have a very clean entry point into comics. Yeah, and she's she's someone as well that, like, she, oh, man, her her jam is Wonder Woman. That's how she got into comic books. And so she draws Wonder Woman with the heart and energy and soul of someone who grew up in love with that character and whose first entry point into strong female heroism was Wonder Woman. But also, the way she draws Superman, but Batman in particular, is just incredible. It's one of those people, I guess, like Jim Lee or maybe Art Adams, where you look at their work on a page and you can instantly recognise who it is because their style is not only quite distinctive, but there's just something about the personality of them put into those characters and the way that they draw them. Now, you're a author. Yes. You're a professional writer. Yes. If you had the chance to write Batman, yes. like surely you'd be jumping out. Who are you pushing out of the way to... Oh. Oh, the I, well, you know, I actually I wrote a documentary um, and produced a documentary that didn't end up seeing the light of day, which was about George Miller's ill-fated Justice League movie, which was about to film. It was three days away from filming here in Sydney back in the early 2000s. Um, and I was part of that project, which ended up uh, it, like it's on hiatus, shall we say. But essentially, we got a legal letter from DC um, wanting us against using any of the characters, <laughs> images and stuff like in that. In the documentary. Uh, yeah, which makes it very hard, but it was also very interesting because we had people from the studio and people from the company interviewed 
um, and involved and like super excited to do it. And, and it was just, it was very interesting. So I think. Sorry, we should give some history on this film. This was a Justice League movie being yes. made by George Miller. Yes. Okay. So, I mean, that's a pretty big deal in its own right. It's a huge deal. This was right off the back of The Dark Knight. So yeah. The Dark Knight was this obviously. Was, this was you know, before actually. So this is one of the reasons that people theorize. This was also before the big writer's strike. So one of the reasons people theorized this movie got crushed was because there was a lot of, um, so let's say, confrontation in the studio, DC slash Warner Bros., about there being two versions of Batman existing at the same time. Yeah, because Batman obviously wouldn't be played by Christian Bale. It was going to be Army Hammer. It was going to be Army Hammer. Everyone in the cast was going to be super young. Um, it was going to be DJ Carano, uh, I believe, who was going to play Superman. Teresa Palmer was going to be playing Talia al Ghul. Um, Megan Gale as Wonder Woman. Megan Gale as Wonder Woman. Adam Brody as The Flash. If you've seen those pictures of Megan Gale as Wonder Woman are incredible. Like she looked the part. She looked incredible in the part. Um, whether I don't know. Who knows how that would have worked out. But um, the theory was that this was going into production before Batman Begins and then Batman Begins gained momentum and was officially going into production. So they were in production at the same time and essentially uh, it sounds like Warner Brothers slash DC had to make a choice as to which project they'd go with because Chris Nolan was going to walk away if there were going to be two versions of the Batman that existed simultaneously within the cinematic oh, universe. Interesting. I didn't know that. I remember the casting news. Yeah. The Megan Gale casting news. Well, the other thing that's really interesting is the bit, bit that makes me really excited is that Common, um, everyone knows him as one of the greatest rappers alive, he was cast as John Stewart Green Lantern. So he's African-American Green Lantern, which is, to be fair, people my age, that's the Green Lantern you know because you grew up watching... The seeing, Justice League cartoon. Yeah, seeing a black Green Lantern in the Justice League cartoon, that's the only Green Lantern you knew. And when they did the ill-fated Green Lantern movie with Hal Jordan and Ryan Reynolds playing Hal Jordan, nobody knew who that was because they grew up with Jon Stewart. And I think um, I think the casting of Common, even though that movie never went ahead, that was so, like, it was very much looking ahead and it was, like, ahead of the curve and it was very, very, uh, I don't know, I was really excited about that and I think it would have really changed the game back then uh, because although you had Blade, who, you know, was a black superhero and comic book character, again, that was an R-rated thing, but there would have been a whole generation of kids who got to grow up having a black hero in a mainstream family-friendly comic book blockbuster. That that didn't happen again until we got War Machine and Iron Man and Falcon and the Marvel movies. and When you talk about, you were talking about the mainstreamness of the comics and the movies, mm. and um, the comics are way ahead with all of oh, that yeah. stuff. Oh, huge. Yeah, yeah, because it's also, I mean, like diversity, that was one, again, one of the reasons when I talk about being really into comic books is because there were stories that I wanted to see in versions that of myself that I wanted to see represented that I couldn't find in television or movies. But comic books always seemed to be about three or four years ahead of the curve when it came to that. And maybe it was because they had less eyes on them or maybe, you know, it was just because that was a little bit more of a progressive medium. But it always felt that comic books were a little bit more inclusive and diverse than, than television and movies and stuff like that. We also have to evolve more. There's so much more story that they go through. They have to yeah. keep that keep staying fresh. Yeah. Keep in mind the diversity of the Green Lantern characters as well. This is stretching back to the early to mid-70s mm. when Jon Stewart first entered the thing. You look back on this stuff now and it reads a little bit racist and there's some stuff that, you know... There's, I saw some suspicious Green yeah. Lantern business. Well, it is. But at the time, hugely progressive. But keep in mind, like Taika Waititi was in the Green Lantern movie. He plays Hal Jordan's best friend in that movie. 
Does he? Yes. And so that's a character that's originally written as Native American, but that year when they were putting... Is that the Eskimo guy? <laughs> so when they were putting um, Greenland together, it was the same year that Boy had premiered at Sundance. And so the W execs were there and they're like, well, we need a brown guy. Let's get him. He's great. Everyone loves Boy. Sundance, it's killing it. Let's go. <laughs> so they offered the part to Taika. I don't even think he really had to do audition or anything. And he got it thinking, yeah, like this will be funny. Let's like see how we go. And he has all these amazing stories about wandering around on the set of Green Lantern, just like basically watching millions and millions of dollars be burned. Cause he was only on set for like a few weeks, but he had to be there for a lot longer. And so he was just going around watching this huge blockbuster production and seeing the bits and pieces that worked and didn't, which also makes me really excited for Thor Ragnarok because he was part of, I guess, one of the biggest superhero movie flops of all time. And so he got to see, I guess, like the inside mechanisms of how that worked or didn't work. It looks work. good. The trailer looks good, I think. It looks amazing. It looks incredible. Yeah. I don't know a lot about Green Lantern. It seems pretty complicated. There's a lot of <laughs> there's a lot of them, first of all. Yeah. Right? There's a yeah. lot of people doing that job. Well, there's like 2,600 of them. Yeah. 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 It's a lot. Yeah. It's a lot. Look, One it, of them's a planet. Yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah. My knowledge goes as far as you can create a fist out of the the ring creates a fist. Yeah. And you can punch people with it. Greenland's never really been my jam, I've got to say. Any of the cosmic stuff. I didn't really like Guardians yeah, of the Galaxy either. Sucks. It just, it wasn't for me. I wasn't for me. I like the same reason, I, like the Who's Afraid books that I write, they're urban fantasy. And so for people who don't know what that means, it's not like hip hop fantasy as my grandparents originally thought it was. They're like, you're writing what now? It's, um, it's. <laughs> fantasy is set in the real world so it has elements of the world that you know about with fantastical elements to it so i guess buffy is a very well-known urban fantasy property true blood i mentioned before but those are the things that i always really liked where there was those groundings of reality in it i found it a really good entry right. point as an audience member well batman has always been my favorite comic book character mm. because he's in the, technically just a regular yeah, dude yeah he's just rich super rich and his got a lot of the, issues the greatest superpower and he's of really all. smart yeah and he's a gymnast so, yeah, the world's greatest detective as well. That's right. Now, Maria, you grew up reading a lot of comics. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you're deeply steeped in this, but you also yeah. did it from the 90s through to today. Yeah. At the beginning of this chat, we were talking about how these days comics are cool and the comic characters mm -hmm. are really cool. That hasn't always been the case. Mm -hmm. And comics, as progressive as the material in the books are, the fan base behind comics, not necessarily as progressive mm. as well. So, like, <laughs> No. And so I just Try want to say, being a woman, geek. Well, this is what I want to talk to you about. So, oh, okay. like, one of my really good friends, she is hardcore into Batman. She yeah. loves Superman as well. Mm. Like, the two characters are her jam. She wants to, like, read the classic runs. Like, yeah. she's sort of always read comics, but she doesn't really sort of know what she's looking for. Yeah. So, anytime she gets online and she'll post on a forum somewhere saying, hey, look, what should I be looking for? Yeah. She gets called out as being a fake nerd yeah. and all this kind of thing. Oh, and this is in 2017. Yes. She was complaining about it the other day. Yeah. So I just want to say, I speak to you about this. Like, how much has this changed? And is there, like, enough for change within these fan communities? Look, the, I always call it a vocal minority because mm. it really is. The majority of geeks and nerds and pop culture lovers are not assholes. Um, in my experience of being, like, involved from an internet perspective and involved of being a creator of pop culture-related stuff and from the perspective of someone who's been on the ground covering things at San Diego Comic-Con and I've been on Supernova Tour for the past, oh, my God, two years? Well, that went fast. Um, and a bunch of other cons all around the world. There is, there are always going to be assholes. They're always, they call them neckbeards generally. But mm, those why people, is that? <laughs> because they have beardy necks. <laughs> What? So and, just, and fedora hats usually. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a lot. 
It's a lot. I'll draw you a picture afterwards. Okay, okay. I'm looking at you because you've got a beard, but it doesn't really go down your neck. No, so well, you're supposed to trim it a little really bit. It's not really indicative of the actual beard. It's just the same way you call people fake geek girls. And he's like, why is that? Well, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, point is, I mean, those people do exist. We should also out point out there. there is a weird sexist culture which surrounds a lot of uh, conventions. Like you get these things called booth babes mm-hmm. of whom are just highly attractive women while well, just overly sort of sexualized women well, who are hired to attract, you know, It's the thing that companies hire them to have them at their booths because it attracts people to the booth or whatever so they can hit on the girls and make them feel uncomfortable. The reality is, though, it's, I think, 53% um, or maybe it's a little bit higher, maybe it's, mm, maybe no, let's just say 53%. I think that's the last figure that really stuck in my mind of the comic book audience are men and the other 47% are women. It's almost an even split now and that wasn't yeah. always the case. But when comic books first started, a lot of women read them. There were a lot of great girl detective stories out there that girls found really fun and found a really exciting entry point. And Wonder Woman was huge. A huge, like, fan base that was reading that comic it wasn't men, it was women who well, grew up with it. And also so, through the 50s and 60s, like, romance comics were one of the yeah. main genres of comics. And Batgirl and all those kind of things. But um, the thing that's interesting now is in light of there being those assholes and that vocal minority being very loud about, oh, they're making our Ghostbusters girls now, or like, oh, no, that's a woman directing Wonder Woman, not our Wonder Woman, is that... What, what do they all sound like, 80-year-old prospectors? Like I don't know. That's just, that's just how they sound in my head. But <laughs> there are these amazing communities popping up in response to that, um, which are female-driven communities all about supporting female fans and encouraging females to get into reading comics in the comic book world. Um, They are online. They're on Facebook. There's a really great Facebook group called She Reads Comics, which I highly recommend. Um, Maybe suggest that to your friend if she's looking for entry points. It's a really safe group. It's got thousands and thousands of people in it, mostly women and people like queer people, LBGTQI plus community, trans community in there. And they've found a safe place to talk about comics where the neck beds don't exist. But also on Twitter, there's groups like the Valkyries, which are a group of women who work at comic book shops. And so it's all about promoting female books and female writers and female creators. So there's a lot more awareness about it before. There's a lot more communities out there than ever before because of the internet and it's a way to connect people who feel isolated in their fandoms and their groups. Um, so, yeah, it's tough. It's not going to go away for, I reckon, another 10 years because I'm really excited about the group of women, a group of young girls who are 12 and 13 and stuff like that who are growing up with things like the Lumberjanes, who are growing up with Squirrel Girl, who are growing up with getting to see movies like Wonder Woman and getting to see things like Moana and Mad Max Fury Road where they don't know that there is anything or there is another option than a lot of great, complex, interesting female stories being told about not just white women but brown women, diverse women, old women, fat women, skinny women, the whole spectrum of possibilities out there in the world. So I think for that next generation I'm really excited because the neckbeards aren't going to exist then. One of the um, first things that comes up when you Google neck is <laughs> Oh, my neck, God, I love that you were just like, yes, beard. let me inquire. Do, see, okay, so it's a Which problem. Is, before neck pain, before necklace, yeah. neck <laughs> yeah. beard. Yeah. These people own the internet is if what it looks like. It's been in the like. fan community for a while. Like it was kind of, they were considered that, like a lot of people refer to them to the gatekeepers of the geek community. 
Usually because they own the comic book stores. Because it's been very straight and very white for a very long time, Nick, you sweet baby angel. And um, <laughs> and now people who ha- aren't in those groups are pushing to get in right. and they're pushing for a little piece of what these people have had for a very long time and they're losing power and it makes them uncomfortable. It's as if they're taking a metaphorical razor blade <laughs> to yes. the neck Yes, and shaving away the beard. And, and it's just double chins. Now it's, it's just ugliness on the inside manifesting to the outside, right. basically. Like the, what's the Roald Dahl oh, book? The Twits. You know where he says, says that thing yeah, where he's yeah. like, if you're an ugly person on the inside, it will manifest on the outside. But you can be beautiful on the inside, and even if you're ugly on the outside and you have a crooked nose or horrible teeth, like kindness the will shine out of you like sunbeams. Yeah, except he's ugly on the inside. Yeah. Is there is there an overlap um, with the gaming community? Or is yes. it similar or is it yes. very unique it's and similar. different? similar. Um, I'd say maybe a little bit less violent in terms of like, there hasn't Death threats and doxing and stuff yeah, like that. Right. Um, it's still bad though. Oh my god, it can still be really, really horrible. I've some, had some friends go through some horrendous, <laughs> and also you know appearing at conventions when there's particularly like Frank Cho is a guy who's drawn really, um, oh let's say misogynistic stuff for a very long time, and he has a very impassioned following, shall we say. So if he's appearing at a convention, there will be women who will opt out, female guests who will opt out of appearing at that convention because they know he's going to be there and they know there's a particular type of fan base that comes with him and comes with his work. So that's just one of those things. But also, again, there's more female creators than ever. There's more female comic book writers and editors and, like, that group of people that are coming through are really changing things. Did you like the Wonder Woman movie? Of course I like the Wonder Woman movie. Oh my God, are you kidding me? I could talk about it forever. Oh, my God. It was amazing. I loved it. I thought the first two-thirds were perfect. I thought the first third was very, like, um, very much DC Warner Brothers superhero movie and that it got a little bit messy with the CGI fight and stuff. But, I mean, it went above and beyond any expectations I had for what that movie could possibly be. I was so blown away by it. I thought it was absolutely incredible. I, I really, really dug it. Really were, you took a, it. were you a fan of the comic books? Yeah, yeah. Always been a really big fan. I'm also really excited for the movie called um, Professor Marston and the Wonder Woman, I believe it is, which is about the real life story. Oh, with the guy with, yeah. the, with the two women. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Who after he died, they stayed together forever. It's beautiful. Anyway, it's got Luke Evans in it and it's got Rebecca Hall um, and Bella Heathcote. And it looks really good. They just dropped the trailer for that a few days ago. Yeah, and this is based off the Jules Paul book? Yes. Yeah, it is. Yes. Yeah. So that's really good. If you're really interested in some proper comic book pop culture history, I highly recommend checking that out. Just to bring it back to the show for a second, did we know that there was a Batman 66 comic book in 2013? Ralph Garman and Kevin Smith did that one. So uh, I think... No, no, no. Okay, so I think they may have done a run on it, but this is a comic book which when it actually first started... The best way to read it is digitally on an iPad or something like that because they were playing around with this uh, technology at the time called motion comics. Mm. And what you could do with the Batman 66 book, and this was the first one to really use motion comics in a real meaningful way, is that you'd be able to press on the screen and then suddenly there's actually action taking place. So mm. it opens with Batman on top of a plane, like he's standing on top of a plane, Adam West Batman on top of a plane. And, like, you can press buttons and you can see, like, the plane sort of move across the screen and it's a really engaging way to do it. It's really, really cool. It's That's really cool. It was also to coincide with the release of Batman 66 on Blu-ray and DVD. Okay. So it was, like, a big thing. Burt Ward. I mean, Adam West has always been going to the conventions, but, like, they pulled out Burt Ward and Julian Newmar and everyone and we're really trying to, you know, build up a lot of momentum towards it. 
Okay. It's fun though. It's really fun. If you like the series, yeah. you'll really like it. Cool. It's got like a nice bit of modern flavour to it, shall we say. We should probably wrap up the podcast. Usually what we do at the end of every pod is we'll talk about what did we learn from Batman this week. Mm. Uh, Maria, what did you learn from Batman this week? What did I learn from Batman this week? That no matter what weight you are, if you have a magical umbrella, it will support you as you fly across the sky carrying an unconscious movie star. <laughs> It's very specific um, what I learned. No, I'm highly specific. <laughs> uh, what I learned, other than the the idea that if we spoke every language, there would be no war. <laughs> besides learning the answer to world peace. <laughs> Aside from that. Besides that. Which was, yeah, it was pretty big. Um, is that when, uh, it's based on the, I think, the last, very last scene, when you're in love with someone, mm. you will ignore everyone at a party and make oh, a beeline God. for a fire and just stare at it. Also, she saw him for an instance and she's deeply in love. I'm like, girl, no. We've got some issues we've got to work through first before you start falling in love with random dudes you've seen for two seconds in a suit. Um, yeah, and she's reminded me a lot of, my, of me in high school. Oh. Just falling in love and staring at fires. Yeah. Yeah. For me, I learn a lot about the declining state of the umbrella manufacturing industry. Yes. Once oh, yeah. it was prosperous and now there's just You nothing. actually learned a lot about it. Yeah. I really did. You I did, did some, some reading. I have a really great Batman umbrella. It's not a penguin umbrella, I wish, but it's um, it's te- <laughs> technically a children's umbrella, but I really loved it, so I bought it, and it's got Batman and Robin on it, just images of them repeated over and over again. I never use it. It's just for keepsies, but... Sorry, when it's repeated, can you spin the umbrella and they do stuff or is it just... No, oh my God, I wish. Wouldn't that be amazing? I'd just be sitting at home spinning the umbrella inside, never going outdoors again. What's your third favourite Batman movie after <laughs> The Dark Knight and Yeah, Batman can we Returns? do this quickly? Can this okay. be the proper end? This is the end, let's do Go it. Go the orders. Okay, so number one for me would be The Dark Knight. Yeah. Number two would be Batman Returns. Right. Number three would be The Dark Knight Rises. Number four. Oh, before I, Batman Begins. Yeah, Batman Begins. I like it, but it, it really annoys me. Um, Why is that? I like, I, when I say I like it, like, and it, but it really annoys me, it, makes, it sounds like I don't like it. Like, it's still like an 8 out of 10 for me. Like, I really enjoy it. But I think origin movies are really, really, yeah, really yeah. tricky, and especially when it's been done so many times. Yeah. And at that point, we're like, oh, God. In Batman versus Superman, when they open with yeah, him seeing his parents killed again, I was like, And I was like, I just don't care about these people anymore, especially when you have the Gotham TV show and everything else. But then when they did Spider-Man Homecoming, and I was like, I swear to God, God, if I see Uncle Ben die in this, I'm going to be losing my (laughs) and you don't see him die. There's no flashback to it. There's vaguely a mention of it, but there's really nothing else. They just move forward with the story and it makes such a difference. Um, So then, okay, so Dark Knight, uh, Batman Returns, Dark Knight Rises, then probably Batman Begins, Mm -hmm. then probably Batman Forever, then Batman and Robin. What? And then Batman 1989. Oh, my God. I really, really don't like Batman 1980. Oh, there's one core movie that's missing from that list. Oh, the 60s Batman. Oh, yeah, I don't know. It's a hard one. Hmm. I don't know. I guess mentally I've skipped over it because I always figure it, like, it follows nicely within the narrative of the TV series. Like, you automatically, oh, um, all right. You think of it as part of the show. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'd put that then before the Joel Schumacher ones. So I'd put it after um, Batman Begins. Why do you hate the 89 one so much? I really hate it because... Um, Michael Keaton's Batman, like the Bruce Wayne that they have in that, he acts more like 
Austin Powers than he does Bruce Wayne. <laughs> like Powers. he's not suave. He's bumping into like coats of armor. Like he's, he's all like uh-huh, uh-huh, like he's like stuttering and he's sweaty and he wears turtlenecks for is no that, explicable reason. Is that the first time you've compared him to Austin Powers? Probably, yeah. I, I don't get lit on podcasts very often because of this reason. But Vicky Vale, like she is super annoying female character and. It's just like yeah, Vicky Vale stinks. Oh, she's terrible. She's like the archetype of like all the specific things they what need. About I'm Batman. Guys, I need to like you need to save me, but like I'm also like I'm brassy because I'll investigate stuff. And oops, I'm in the cave. Like, forget it. No. And I also really don't like Jack Nicholson's performance as the Joker. Oh, yeah. controversial. And I also hate the suit. And I hate, like I just hate it. I don't like that movie. See, wow. I love him wearing the turtlenecks. I think that's fantastic. Oh, nah. The one, buy it. the one issue I have is that Batman murders a whole lot of people in that movie. That's you know. the other thing. Yes, he, there's also a bit where he has a gun and he shoots at um, the Joker's thing as it's, like, flying in. Like, it's it's a classic example of, like, so there's this line that Tim Burton says um, and he goes, anybody who knows me knows I will never, I have never read a comic or something like that. Know. And that movie explains that because it's, like, it's a version of, oh, hey, this is the kind of Batman we think. Yeah, he's kind of like this. He wears a cape. That's all we need to know about him. He's kind of rich, the end. But he's, like, he's shooting people. He's killing things. He's like, throwing people off a bell tower. It's, he's doing hella un-Batman-like behaviour, nonstop, 247-365. Although, to be fair, I'm a massive fan of um, Bat Dance and the Prince B-sides. <laughs> so that was the best thing to come from that was, was Prince's music. Guys, that was a very positive way we could end this. Yeah. Now, people can find us independently on Twitter. We don't all have a shared Twitter. No. Which is strange. <laughs> Not yet. Not yeah. yet. It's only Birds a matter of, pray, of days. guys. Let's do it. <laughs> Dibs on Huntress. I'm in. Uh, Maria, you're our guest. Where can people find you on the Twitters? Um, they can find me on Twitter. If you search Maria Lewis, um, my Twitter username is MovieMaz, so just the word movie and then M-A-Z-Z. You can find me on Facebook as Maria Lewis Writer. Um, I host a show called Clever Fan, which you can watch as well, which is 9 p.m. every Thursday. And, um, yeah, I'm around. You can find me, buy my books, Who's Afraid and Who's Afraid 2, T-O-O. Because I like terrible 80s sequels like Teen Wolf 2 and Splash 2. <laughs> Just trying to associate my brand with terrible ones. Also Mannequin 2 on the move. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. my God. How can I forget? Oh, what a schmuck. You must be so embarrassed. I am so, so embarrassed. Clever Fan, what happens there? Uh, Clever Fan is a fan. It's a show about the fandom of Clever Man. So I'm basically a fandom person. That's sort of what I do for a living is is exist within the fan world, write stories about the fan world. I have a podcast called FEF Film and Feminism, which is all about pop culture and fandom and feminism and where those things intersect. So Clever Fan is basically about the fandom surrounding Clever Man, which has a pretty frothy, enthusiastic fandom. Mm. And I believe we have uh, uh, Ryan Griffin who created <gasps> Clever Man as our guest next week. Oh, my God, do you really? I Griff so. Dogs. You have to call him Griff Dogs. I'll be sure to. He's too. one of the biggest Batman fans ever and he's a massive combat book nerd. So that is a really good cross plug. Nick, you're still allowed on Twitter? Uh, yes, despite several mistakes, yeah. several poor life choices, <laughs> at Nick Bassin. And that's B-H-A-S-I-N. Correct. Yeah. People can find me at Twitter at the Dan Barrett. But if people want to send us an email, maybe you're a bit more of a personal kind of a yeah, person. You send don't want an to, email. Yeah. Send us an email. Send uh, us a letter. Yeah. Well, actually, you Hold can send us a letter. Anthrax. Stop by. Come to the building. Send us some bat mail <laughs> in your back car. We'll go for lunch in the on cafe. On a bat day. Yeah. Uh, but send us an Bad email, cafe. film at sbs.com.au. We've hijacked that email address. That's right. And, yeah, we'd like to hear from you. I like that that's just the standard email address across the board. It makes it very easy. 
Well, yeah. To real, send my complaints. It's really hard setting up email addresses yeah. in the IT department. <laughs> it actually is. I used to work here, so I know that's true. <laughs> anyway, guys, this has been Batman Land. It has been very exciting to talk. So, Maria Lewis, thank, thank you, you so much, much for having me. Thank, thank you. you so much for having me on such a cool named podcast. And we'll be back next week talking about episodes featuring the Joker. Stay tuned. <laughs>